Hey, uh, it's an absolute privilege to be here today and as Kimberly said, we uh, went to Benjamin, our nephew's 21st last night. And wow, before you blink, the time's gone, yeah, and your kids are growing up and hopefully they're leaving home. <laughs> That's the objective, even the Bible says that a man must leave home. <laughs> Emphasis on that. Hey, it's a wonderful privilege to be here and uh, I've had a busy year already with 32 speaking engagements in the last term, term one. And we've got 38 booked in this term, and so I'm under the pump. And as you'd be acutely aware, there's a massive problem in our nation with brokenness, with dysfunction, with drug and alcohol abuse. And I put my hand up 15 years ago, and I said, Do you know what? I want to be a part of the solution. That stuff's always going to be there, but I want to be preventative, I want to be proactive, and I actually want to use all of that God has brought me through and redeemed, and now I want to use it for good. Each year... I try to take a little time to reflect and to seek the Lord and to realign myself to make sure that I'm still tracking on in the purpose that he has for me. And I think sometimes we become a little bit flippant and we become blasé and we, not purposefully, purposely, but we forget the primary mandate of why God redeemed us. And I want to make it very clear from point dot, salvation was never the end goal for God. It was, never, it was never a plan B. It was, that was never the end. It was just the beginning of something completely fresh. For me, I need to try and reevaluate and reprioritize those things that are important and then reorganize so that I keep the main thing the main thing. I want to reiterate to you that God is still alive and very active and, and very much wants to be a part and be central and part of your everyday life and decisions. And do you know what? For me, every day, I want God to be central in all my decision-making. And I think sometimes as much as our independence is a great thing, sometimes the very thing which is our strength can become our greatest weakness, being our independence, being able to do it on our own. Scripture tells us in uh, Hebrews 13 verse 8 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He changes not. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to co-labor with you to make a difference in 2017, wherever that may be. And each day I walk a journey of faith and I continue to serve Amped for Life, the ministry that my wife and I and my twin brother and I reflected on and out of that was birthed this ministry where we've been taking a message into the schools and into our community for 15 years this year. Also walking with the Lord for 20 years or more now I've learned a few things along the way that have kept me in the race unsteadily and by my fingernails at times but nonetheless heading in the right direction hopefully. You see when the Lord entered my life in 1995 he entered my world with such power and such love. I've never been the same. And hopefully if you've made a commitment and received Jesus into your life, how can you ever be the same? Yeah? That experience and encounter impacted me and changed me forever. However, I also recognize that if I want to continue to live in victory and overcome, there are some key things and some foundational truths that I would need to know and apply because it's not knowledge that changes people, but a knowledge and an application that does that, which will help me keep me heading in the right direction. I want to share with you some of these things that I've gleaned and learned along the way. And... Um, 
the, point, the first point I want to make is this. Never, ever forget the grace on your life. One thing I asked the Lord when I first gave him my life, and I pray regularly, is this. Lord, never let me forget the grace that you put on my life, lest I treat it like a common thing and trample it as if it were nothing. Help me to remember the price that you paid that I can now walk in freedom and in peace. And you know what we do? We, we don't intend to, but the past and the things that he's redeemed us from, we forget. Now, I don't know, you guys might not know, but I'm covered in tattoos. I've got tattoos all over my body, unfortunately, from the lifestyle, my misspent youth. And so every day when I look in the mirror, I'm reminded of what he's redeemed me from. We forget our pain, and we don't deliberately do that. But the one thing I want to remember is that the price that Christ paid, that I might walk in victory and have a new chance at life. And... It's walking with this attitude that keeps my feet on the ground and off my own self-effort and striving. I never forget that. I never want to forget that. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, because of the busyness of life and things like that, we do forget the price that Christ paid. And he paid the ultimate price. He laid down his life for you and I that we might have another chance. And it was nothing that we could do that could earn that merit or favour. We read in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 in the NIV, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And it is not from yourselves, it is purely a gift from God. I like the way the Good News translation of this verse reads. It says, God saved you through faith as an act of kindness. You had nothing to do with it. Being saved is a gift from God. It's not the result of anything you've done, so no one can brag about it. So with your outlines today, you're going to see some little gaps there. Just at the appropriate points, just fill those words in and it helps to revisit and uh, debrief on that stuff later. Point number two, I want you to acknowledge and understand you can't fix yourself ever. We cannot. It is impossible. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Galatian church, warned them about trying to return to their own religious ways, practicing legalism and rules instead of functioning in the grace that God had given initially. In Galatians 3 verse 3 we read, How foolish can you be after starting to live your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to perfect by your own human effort? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus expounds on religious works and effort. In Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 22 in the NIV, the story of the rich man. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit an eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honour your mother and father. The man replied, I've carefully obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And do you know what? In our lives, there is always going to be just one more thing you haven't done. 
that the Lord will ask of you. One more thing to overcome, one more mountain to climb, one thing which is greater than yourself and you can't seem to get victory over it. You see, the rich young ruler tried in his own self-righteousness and strength, priding himself that he'd accomplished all that Jesus had required of him. He assumed that he could achieve eternal life through his own self-efforts. You see, this guy's Achilles' heel was his wealth and the love of all that he owned in his possessions. But in verse 23 to 27 we read, But when the man heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Then who in the world can be saved? He replied, What is impossible with people is possible with God. What is impossible with people is possible with God, and so it is with us. We will always have just one thing that the Lord will ask of you. And just when we, have it, we think we've got it all sorted, there'll be something else. Another struggle, another sin, a personal weakness, a bad attitude, a wrong motivation, an uncontrollable anger issue, a character flaw that he will ask you to deal with. He's a bit like, I don't know if you've seen that movie Shrek, and, and Shrek talks to the donkey and he says, we're a bit like onions, we're quite complex. And so it is with us. God will take you back a layer upon layer upon layer until he gets you right to the core. Why? You know, the Pharisees tried in their own way to clean the outside of the cup. But God has said, it's the inside that's filthy. And that's where God wants to do the work in all those areas of our life. And I know that at times I thought that I could sort my life out by myself. Thank you very much Well, how wrong I was. And the more I journey this, the more I recognize that there's always going to be just one thing. The Apostle Paul, who was the, the super apostle really, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He recognized the futility of self-effort and striving after all that he'd done, all that he'd learned a Pharisee of Pharisees, teacher of the law, all his years of trying to fulfill every requirement which ultimately came to nothing. We read in Philippians 3, 8 and 9 in the New Living Translation, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. And here it is. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. When we truly understand this grace, a peace and a rest will replace turmoil, frustration, self-effort and striving. Do you know what? It's hard being religious. It'll kill you quicker than anything. Religion is the frustration for so many because they're trying to bring about their own godliness through their own self-effort. Remember Adam in the garden? He tried to make things right by his own hands, sewing a, a leaves together to cover his own. He was trying to make it right. You can never make it right. I used, I used to read that scripture in Philippians 2.12, uh, which says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
I used to think about that. And then one day my eyes dropped down to the next verse. I understood what Paul was really trying to emphasize. Verse 12 in the New King James Version says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always believed, always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and here's the next verse for it is God who is to work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure for years I, I saw that verse and I thought I've got to make it all happen myself until the next verse I, it just illuminated itself to me one day and all of a sudden the stress and the striving and the must do should do ought to was simply connected with the next verse where it said, For it is God who is to work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I've reconciled myself that until I step across that veil into glory, there was always going to be just one thing I haven't done. And so now I've learned to rest and trust in the finished work of Christ, continuing to work in partnership and co-laboring with the Holy Spirit that we work together to bring about continued growth and maturity I need his abundant grace every day for what I face and we all do yeah every one of us needs that grace every day just to get through and I just I'm reminded of that constantly because the memory of what he's redeemed me from is always there and I recognize that it is by grace if there's just one thing I haven't done that causes me to hang on to Jesus with both my hands and fall on his mercy, is that such a bad thing? Do you know what? If we've got it all together, why do we need God? It's a journey of growth and dependence totally on him to help bring about being conformed into his image completely. Point number three. And this is really important because, again, we stop at that thing of salvation and we see that is the end goal. That is not the case. Point number three, I have been saved and redeemed for a calling. Never forget that. It's actually way bigger than you. I've come to realize that God had saved me and redeemed me for a, for a purpose far greater than myself. He has a job for each one of us to fulfill. We are a body and the body needs to function together every bit doing its own little function and role so that together, corporately, we bring about the work that God has got for us. And yes, we've seen that I'm saved by grace, totally and absolutely, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith and it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works. However, I'm not saved by works, but the scripture tells us in the next verse, in verse 10 of the same passage, Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, so much so that God prepared them before in advance for us to do them. I like the way the New American Translation says it slightly differently. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's an acting out, it's a functioning in, it's a, a continued journey of action. See, love is demonstrated in action. And there's a one little saying that I always remember, and it says this, love um, gives at the expense of self for the benefit of others. Love gives the expense of self for the benefit of others. I believe that part of the evidence and fruit of my Christian life is to walk in partnership with the Holy Spirit, to serve the Lord through works which will glorify Him and connect people with my faith and ultimately Jesus. 
If I can't use my faith to practically minister to other people, I've actually missed the essence of what the gospel is. What is the gospel in entirety? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. In doing so, you fulfil all the law and the prophets. It's not complex. We make it complex sometimes. We see this Jesus talking to his disciples in Matthew 5 verse 16. He says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your, what? Your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God asks that we be partakers, not just spectators. And often we do. We sit on the sidelines and we cheer everyone else on and champion them on. We are all called to this journey of participation, to be partakers, to be allowing our faith to outwork itself in practical works. Our faith must be practical. And like I said, love to be seen as love expressed. Don't tell you love me. Show me you love me. And unfortunately, it's quite a loaded term these days. Oh, I love you. Really? We'll demonstrate that. Show me. When I was out there as an addict, I had well-meaning people telling me I was a sinner going to hell. In all reality, I already knew that. What I needed was, well, what can you do to meet my needs? And once you've shown me that and demonstrated that, then I might listen to what else you've got to say. And all too often I think we, we're quick to label and tell people where they're at. In my experience, people already know they're broken. People already know that they're sinful. What they want is, how can you help meet my needs so I can actually get out of my predicament? And then when you've journeyed with me for a little while, then I'm going to ask a little bit more about your faith because I've seen it demonstrated in action. First John Chapter 3, verse 18, and the NIV also support this. It reads, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Actions and in truth. What does that look like for you? What good works do you think that the Lord has prepared for you to walk in? You know, he did this in advance. In advance, before you even got saved, he already knew those who would be his. And he set apart works for each one of us to function and to outwork and walk in. I hope that our lives would reflect our faith journey and that we would demonstrate this in action and service for our King and our Lord. In my case, that started by serving in my local church, handing out the notices, writing up the things, being an usher at the door, uh, helping dispense communion, being trained to support others in a life group, helping clean the church, set up, pack down, which many of you already do, cleaning the toilets. In fact, when I first went to this place, the uh, rehab centre, I became the best toilet cleaner in in the house. Why? Because I didn't want to have to tell the people that were coming in under me to do something I wouldn't do myself. I wanted to outwork that, and they could see that I would never ask them to do something I hadn't done myself. And so I made that. And everything that I did, I actually said, Lord, I'm doing this unto you, not to anyone else, because he was watching my attitude and everything that I did. So I became the best toilet cleaner. I literally cleaned out a pig pen at Faith Bible College for three and a half years when I was there. And even when nobody else was watching, God was watching my attitude. It was a training ground and preparation 
mowing the lawns, cleaning the windows, serving my pastor and the elders and so on, in essence participating in the day-to-day of many aspects of church life. It was a double blessing, really. Why? Because I was being trained and equipped in many aspects of the practical day-to-day and foundational principles in ministry. What did Jesus say? If you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be a servant of all. He put aside his deity and became like a servant putting aside that privilege and that that right that he actually had and become a servant of all and I think one of the greatest things is that we forget that and it's in those simple day-to-day and that those basic things that you often have an attitude adjustment (laughs) about you I have I've many times my attitude I might have been doing that thing but my attitude stunk and actually God was dealing with the attitude that I had what a it was really taught me was learning what it is to serve and that's so important and that with a good attitude then the Lord opened up new opportunities and possibilities I even served in our local schools I my first role in ministry really was a Bible and schools teacher I remember walking across the field one day in a short sleeve t-shirt and the kids saw this tattooed man walking across the field and they thought who's that then the guys the teacher said oh that's your new Bible and schools teacher and they went what <laughs> But I even got to serve there and the kids came to absolutely love me. I, had, I was teaching them scripture. I was just imparting scripture. We were teaching them that um, game Hangman and I'd be teaching all the critical scriptures that I could. You know, John 10.10 10 and uh, really key scriptures which would basically burn into their spirits. So even when I'd finished my role, it was still there. And so I got to serve in my local school and Bible and schools. It was such an opportunity for great things ahead. Finally, point four. If you truly want to make a difference along your faith journey, you will not find it staying in your comfort zone. You will never find it in your comfort zone, actually. Unfortunately, many of us reside in the comfort zone and never really go on to make a difference for God, for others, or for themselves. Living in mediocrity and just getting by each day. Being out of your comfort zone can be an incredibly scary and unknown place. Abraham was well acquainted with that. Remember when God said, just go? He said, well, go where? And he hadn't even told him. It was like, just go. So I'm sure he was uh, well aware of the, the fear factor that came with that. The Apostle Paul, Jesus, and many others we read about in the Scriptures. But is it also the greatest pl- pr- place excuse me, for growth and for faith out of your comfort zone? In fact, I call this place the faith zone. Faith always begins at the end of your comfort zone. It is the place where Jesus is. It's the place where the supernatural can become reality. It's a place of miracles and God-breathed divine appointments. Like Peter, it's an out-of-the-boat environment. You see, Peter would have never walked on the water had he not stepped out of the boat into the supernatural. He kept his eyes on Jesus, and as a result, he walked on the water until he looked around at the circumstances, the storm, and other distractions and his fear and insecurity caused him to doubt and as a result he begins to sink and Jesus simply reached out to Peter and said why did you doubt he'd already said come you would have thought that would have been enough but instead of keeping his eyes fixed on Jesus he got distracted from what was going on the everyday stuff 
looking in the natural rather than listening to the supernatural. You see, fear often keeps us in that place of comfort, in the boat, on the pews, on the sideline. Fear of the unknown, what if? Do you know what? If I'd have lived in that place, I would have never got out of the boat 15 years ago when God called me. And what he essentially was calling me to do was so big, it was like, stuff a duck. <laughs> I can't do this. And normally it's in that place where it's so big, it's way above you. I want to say that it's normally that place that God's calling you to, that faith zone. It's a place of fear, unfortunately. It's a place of the unknown, fear of failure. It's a place of insecurity, the comfort zone, a place of procrastination, of just getting by, settling for less than what God wants for you. The reason I say these things is I lived in that place for years and it nearly killed me. But when Mike and I, my twin brother and I, and Karen and I sat down in our lounge in Meander Drive in Welcome Bay, we dared to believe the impossible. And we started to talk about, well, I really have nothing to offer except this broken life and that experience, that understanding, that pain, all of that stuff that I've journeyed and God's redeemed me from. And he started to drop into my spirit and into our spirits seeds of a, a, a ministry that were to flourish and 15 years on continue to minister to thousands upon thousands of young people every year. Now let me tell you, if you want to know what intimidation is, you stand in front of 2,000 students at a time. You try and pull a fast one on them, they will dissect you piece by piece. They will pull you apart. They are merciless. They go for the jugular. If you try and stand up and give them a nice little story and you're not living authentically, they will read you like a book and then they will deliberately and intentionally just annihilate you. And doing that is one of the most incredibly fearful and overwhelming places to be but let me tell you when I get up and then I just have done all my preparation God's spirit then rises up in me and I pick up that mic and bang I'm in that zone and like Kimberly said before when you can keep 2,000 students silent for an hour God's in that room let me tell you it's an incredible thing to witness why because he's used and helped me create a message which is relevant and appropriate and real for them. And they recognize that. You see, what kids lack in understanding, they make up for in discernment. And they know when somebody loves them. They know when somebody cares. And so, what a wonderful place. I never thought I would be there. And when I got married to Karen, I left Faith Bible College. I went from a faith of one to a faith overnight. And... Why? Because I took on a wife and three children and all of a sudden my faith zone had to become incredibly expanded to embrace what I was taking on. And yet, you know what? In 15 years, God has never left me in a place of lack. We have always, we have never had an empty freezer. We have never had a bill unpaid. We've never had a blessing that's been withheld. Why? Because I chose to step out of the boat and action my faith into that place called the faith zone. Out of my comfort zone, I wear a razor blade and people around my neck and people often go, oh, what are you wearing? Around? Do you know what? God spoke to me years ago and he said, Patty, he says, use that as a reminder because I want to keep you on the cutting edge. Because that's the place where I redeemed you. 
And that's the place where the faith zone is, on the cutting edge, when you're, woo, out of my depth, and I'm going, stuff a duck. At least you come through for me, Lord. I'm toast. But do you know what? He's been incredibly faithful. And as pioneers, we have to step out into that faith zone and, and hoe the ground and step into it, knowing that all of heaven backs me. It's not about my works or my righteousness. I have the righteousness of Christ imputed to me by faith. It's nothing about what I can do. It's about my availability to be in a place where he says, are you willing? If so, come out with me into that faith zone where together we can function and do things you never even dreamed of. My mum was the most amazing example of somebody who lived in the faith zone often being led by the Spirit. She influenced many people in her world and many outside her comfort zone. Neighbours, strangers. I saw my mum talking to patched mongrel mob members down the beach, sharing her faith. Little old mum, five foot two or whatever it was, fearless in the face of these big brutes that were around her. She'd be up there telling them that they need Jesus, that she just... And she was a living example to me of what it was to live in that place, the faith zone. Neighbours around about her, strangers, and one she felt led to. She lived constantly to listen for that gentle nudging of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide her in her every day. She demonstrated to me what it was to live in that place. So as we wind up now, will you join with me today in committing to looking for opportunity to grow in your own journey of faith? Recapping Always remember, you are saved by grace. There's nothing that you have to do which can bring about your righteousness. It is done, full stop. Romans 3.22 says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. You can't fix yourself, point two. There is always going to be just one thing you haven't done. Recognize that. Ecclesiastes, Solomon at the end of his day said this. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 in the New Living Translation. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Do you know what? We blow it every day. Whether or not outwardly, inwardly in our attitudes, our wrong responses, whatever. And so we learn to rest and trust in the finished work of Christ and embrace the journey of becoming incrementally more and more like Jesus every day, what the Bible calls sanctification. We need his abundant grace each day for what we face. All of us do. Yeah, would you agree? Number three, there is a calling and an opportunity where we can learn to serve both in our local church and in the sphere of influence the Lord has placed us in, wherever that looks like, in the workplace, in the home, in your community, on the football field, wherever that place is where God has placed you, there is divine opportunity and appointments every day where you can practically outwork your faith and your, your Christian walk to minister life and love to other people. We read in Galatians 5 verse 13 in the New American Standard, through love serve one another. It's one of the most powerful scriptures that is foundational in my, I actually have it up on my wall in front of me because every day works without being motivated from love. It just works. It has to be birthed out of love, a love for what God's done for us and then a love for others. Through love, serve one another. 
Finally, there's a place outside the comfort zone which is the perfect environment for spiritual maturity and growth. Let us keep our eyes on our Lord and Creator. Walk in the grace that He gives us and step out of our place of comfort today and get into the place of the faith zone. God bless. Father, I thank you for each man, woman and child in this place today. I thank you, Lord, that it is by grace, through faith, that we have been saved. But, Lord, it doesn't end there. It's just the beginning of a whole new journey, a journey of sanctification, a journey of serving by, through love, serving one another, serving our local church, serving those people that you brought into that our environment, our sphere of influence, where we can truly let our light shine so that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Lord, I thank you for each one here, each family represented, that, Lord, you love family. Lord, but you've redeemed us, not so that we can just accept that fact, but now that we can co-labor with you and the people that you brought us into contact with so that our faith becomes a living example, that we become living epistles learned and read by men. People can see our faith and your love through us, that we can go on to have a massive impact wherever you put us. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.